let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass and we're ready to go. But we're not alone this week, are we, Martin? No, not at all, Steve. Uh, I'd like to welcome Danny and Tom from Little Earth Project. Thanks for joining us. Hiya! (laughs) It's great to have you on the show with us, folks. Uh, Tom, I'm going to jump straight to you to introduce the first beer that we're drinking this week. Okay, so it's a farmhouse lager. So it's it's a lager. It was um, brewed with lager yeast, at least to begin with. Um, uh, Pale malt. Um, German hops. Uh, it's uh, it's got a little bit of a carbonation to it. Um, probably not quite as much as you'd expect with the lager, but certainly a bit there. Um, but it's got our own our own little our own little little uh, twist on it. So we put some of our mixed culture into the tank uh, after it had been lagered, and uh, and kind of let the let the wild yeast have a go at it as well it's actually smelling really great so i'm, I'm really looking forward to giving this a try cheers 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 i really like that yeah i was going to say it's very light and refreshing actually considering the way mm. you described it tom it's, it's a lot of subtle nuances rather than anything slapping me in the face to be honest yeah we're i, I think we're trying to go down that path a bit more than when we first started, um, which, you know, it's, it, we were learning when we were first brewing as well, this style of beer. Um, and lots of the beers were kind of quite sour and quite in your face. And uh, you kind of, uh, the more you drink these type of beers, the more you notice the, the, the nuances and um, the kind of subtle flavors. And that's what we're trying to get in this. We want it to be kind of a, easy drinking beer rather than something that blows your head off this one is also aged in stainless yeah as well so it doesn't pick you know obviously a lot of our beers tend to have a bit more of a barrel character um whereas this one because it is stainless it is a bit cleaner i think on the finish the 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 sour that comes through is kind of a nice like you said refreshing kind of tang as opposed to like a really tannic hit that you can kind of get with some of some Mm. of the other beers that we do that's also a lower ABV as well, which makes it. That's what I was going to say. It's what it's what four percent, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think it's very light. I think it does. It still finishes quite dry and crisp, which is what I look for in a lager. So it's still giving me that refreshing hit. Um, to close aside some of the bits you described, Tom, I'd say I'm, I'm still getting a little bit of a lemon, lemony feel to it on the on the flavour. Um, and there's lots of lagers which take. The, some of the more complex lagers I've had recently, they've had a bit of lemon in them. Um, but this one, considering, like I said, everything you described about it, it just comes across as just, it's still very clean, very refreshing, and very much still a lager for me. What, what, what's your thinking, Steve? I think it's, um, it's super crisp and, and super refreshing. That, that, that finish on it is, is almost perfect in terms of the balance of... As, as you say, Danny, it's it's more on the tart, tangy side than it is on the lemon-sucking sour side, and 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 that's 
when it comes to these sorts of styles of beers, that's that's what I prefer. Is 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 a a bit more of, of the tart, tangy rather than the, the, the sour. It all works together really really well for me. I think from from the nose, you get this lovely kind of funky nose that you, you pick up a little bit of for me there's a little bit of peach in there on 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 the nose and then as as you start to drink it that you just get these different waves of citrus and, and as martin said that the dominant one at the finish being being lemon which for the style I, I i think that would work really well i mean as as a beer to drink in the height of the summer this would be absolutely storming in terms of its refreshment level i think mm-hmm yeah, well, I was literally, as, as I was saying that, I was, I was just thinking, I, I think this this would give some Rattlers a, a run for their money in terms of the at the ABV as well, at that 4%, it, it, it's, it could actually be really sessionable in, and, and, and give you a lot of refreshment as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sold quite well since we've, we've had it kind of, well, most of the summer, actually, because we did it in 30 litre kegs as well. So we actually had larger quantities of it to put on. Um, and it actually sold quite well. I had a guy come in saying he would like a keg for his wedding. And <laughs> he's now become a regular. And like that's quite nice. So, I mean, it's uh, it certainly surprised us because I think when we wanted to do it, it wasn't really like a, obviously, it wasn't a style we'd done before. But it's just <laughs> lagers or something that we've definitely drank a lot more of in the last mm. couple of years. <laughs> Um, in something a bit, like I said, sessionable, um, but, you know, still having that, that LEP twist with it being that kind of tart, tangy vibes, but more, um, like I said, less, less of a acetic or a, a acidic hit. Um, more approachable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which is what we're, we're trying to do a bit more of stuff that kind of introduces people to it without kind of potentially scaring them. <laughs> people like you Steve like to get them into it <laughs> I'd be curious to know I mean because obviously you, you your your MO is these kind of beers and I presume we'll get into it you have a, a natural love for them I love the sour and tart beers and Steve is uh early on in his journey I would be really curious to know what it'd be like either transporting myself back say 20 years and going from my mainstream lager to this and whether it'd be less subtle so if you go from drinking the macro lagers on a regular basis, then you're presented with this. Would it still be as subtle or would I pick out a bit more because I'm not used to it? Um, yeah, I think you probably would. And some people that we have come into the pub have kind of have seen it as a lager and they think, oh, I drink lager and they've tried it. And then they're um, like, oh, something's wrong with it. It's all yeah, yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is definitely not right. Um, uh, yeah, so it's kind of you've got to kind of prep people and kind of make sure people are in the right frame of mind to try it. I think if you if you see it, which which I guess when we sell it to other bars and stuff, I hope people kind of you know I don't say are educated enough, but like want to share that that fact about it with people when they you know it's not just going to be a pint of your normal lager. It is going to be a bit funky. It is going to be a bit different. As long as there's an open mind to trying it, I think that. You know, anyone could kind of move into it. Well, I think you've got two things there, haven't you? You've got the, the, the people that enjoy beer that know what Little Earth Project are about and what you do. They're, they're going to know what to expect when, when, when they see a lager from you folks. Whereas those people that maybe don't know who you are, I, I think potentially there's a role for the, the, the bar staff to play there in terms of saying, 
are you aware this beer is likely to taste a little bit sour, a little bit tart? Because that's that's what it is, rather than just happily selling it and then potentially having people coming back and saying, this beer ain't right, give me something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of people who even when you tell them, oh, it's a bit different, it's bad, do you want, do you want to just try a sample? And they go, oh, no, I'll just take two thirds. And then they come back five minutes later and they go, oh, could I actually? Yeah, with their tail between their legs. <laughs> but then, like I said, there's, there's the, like the guy who, you know, now comes back every week and he wants a keg for his wedding if he can and like all this stuff. So, I mean... It goes both ways. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty big, well, a pretty even split, I think, of, of people that come in and, or people that try it. And I hope you're prepping yeah, wedding guests. With... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in terms of the, this, this farmhouse lager thing, because you don't really have a core range, so, so to speak, do you? Is, is this, is this kind of a, regular beer that you're going to be producing now or is it again just going to be as and when the the, the brew schedule allows um it's with the kind of beer that we make using wild yeast making kind of making regular beers that are very very consistent is quite difficult so um it's certainly something we want to do do again and we we've actually brewed another batch of it um and it's come out slightly different it's slightly stronger um we used slightly different hops because that's what we had at hand at the time. Um, so yeah, like everything we do, we, we will try and repeat things that um, turn out really well. We'll try and tweak them to make them better. Um, but when you're using wild yeast um, and the way that we use it, so we don't have any temperature control in, in the brewery. So we use the kind of different seasons to try and, um, to kind of a, um, if we want to brew a beer that's that's got a cold fermentation, we brew it during the winter and and the kind of the opposite in the summer. So um, yeah, core beers aren't really something that we do, but we have kind of a seasonal seasonal beers and beers that kind of we have the same ideas behind them. Mm. So I think one one of the beers that we're going to be drinking a bit a little bit later on, it's kind of your annual release, isn't it? That 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 you do versions of every year. Yeah. So we do a blend of. Can we say the name of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why yeah. I'm being so secretive about <laughs> um, it. All right, all right. <laughs> it'll be, uh, it'll so be in the show sexy. notes. People yeah. know what we're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's uh, stupid, sexy Suffolk. Um, so that blend we're on blend four right now. Um, also, we do an organic harvest saison every September. So that one's brewed with all of our own organic hops, um, malt, obviously, our, our mixed culture yeast. So that one is, and it's brewed with the, the fresh hops we picked straight off, straight off the vine and straight into the barrel, basically. Um, yeah. And that's done every year. And, uh, you know, all these other ones that we're kind of experimenting with, if it's, if it's one that we really like or one that's gone over really well, Potentially we tweak it slightly. Um, we've had our, our heritage porter. We've just, our heritage brown porter. We just released a second version of, but the first one was three, four years ago, maybe. So it's kind of as and when it's not necessarily like, I think the ones that you can generally count on or are like the organic harvest, like I said, seasonal ones. So the mm -hmm. organic harvest will happen every September, essentially. Um, and the stupid sexy is, it's because it's a blend you've kind of got a little bit more reliance on when the barrels are ready and when things are kind of 
at the level. Um, I mean, we did a blend a couple of years ago and it was 10 barrels, I think, whereas this year or this last one, I think was maybe five barrels. So it kind of depends, like I said, where, where they're at. Um, we've also done a batch of one that's, I want to say 32 months, but it's 26 or 32 months. Don't quote me off the top of the head, but um, a, a stupid sexy, just one barrel that we kegged or that we bottled, sorry, as a reserve. Um, it kind of fed into a couple blends, but then we kind of packaged just one barrel, the one barrel of it as well. So it's kind of different iterations. We've taken single barrels of that blend um, and added like we did a red current version. Mm -hmm. We've done a Bramling Cross kind of dry, dry hopped it with mm -hmm. uh, Bramling Cross. Um, so there's kind of different things we've done with them to kind of keep it interesting. So you know, it maybe isn't just the same beers all the time, but we still kind of want to have the core, the core blend as well, just because it's nice mm. to have that, that one to fall back on. And yeah. it's delicious. So. <laughs> when you're producing um, kind of mixed fermentation beers that we do, that um, you're using wild yeast and it's, so it's very different to normal brewing. So normal brewing, you will come up with a recipe and you'll have kind of a, an end beer in mind and you will do everything, every little thing is kind of honed down to make that end beer exactly the end beer that you want whereas we we brew a beer and kind of let it take its own path and then we see where that path is taking it and then we'll blend it with a, maybe another barrel or we'll add fruit to it or we'll barrel it or we'll, we'll bottle it earlier than we thought we were going to or leave it longer um it's kind of a it's kind of brewing backwards is the way that I kind of look at it. And, and that in, entire process that you go through, is, is that all down to you, Tom, in, in, by essentially playing it by ear, in, so, so to speak, in terms of you, you might taste a, a batch of something and say, oh, this is ready now. I, I want to bottle it now. And also I want to save a little bit of it to do something else with in the future. It's, it's, is it all kind of a little bit, I suppose it's a terrible analogy, but it's a little bit fumbling around in the dark, not really knowing when a beer is going to be ready. <laughs> it, it, it's a, yeah, I was going to say, is like it that. winging it? But yes, yeah, fumbling <laughs> around in the dark. So why not? It doesn't allow me to do any sort of organisation or planning. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, we we do most of our uh, um, packaging and brewing during the winter. Um, it's it's a better time to brew our kind of beer and. Um, we tend to have more time as well because we're less there's less things going on at the pub um so kind of at the throughout the winter i'll be looking at kind of what barrels are ready um what we can do with them um what tank space we've got ready and so there's lots of different things that play into it um and also if you're if you're getting fruit from sometimes we forage our own fruit from the hedgerows and sometimes we're relying on on local farmers um, and sometimes we're relying on um, kind of suppliers from further afield as well so you've got all of these things that play in and you might not get things um, at the times you want them or the quantities you want them um, you know it's a we, we kind of look at look at our beer as kind of very much kind of a, a natural product um, and when you're dealing in a natural product there you're kind of at the mercy of of the seasons and supplies of things. <laughs> so you are literally at the mercy of nature, mother nature then, most of yes. the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
One thing something which really interests me is that obviously what you're describing here, and you're talking about brewing backwards, but let's go back a little bit. How did how where did your beer journey, respective beer journey start? And then when when did they sort of join up and go into this direction? Um, should I start? Yeah, you go ahead. That's your YouTube. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I kind of uh, as a as a teenager growing up, um, my parents liked to go to the pub, have a beer, um, and uh, they were kind of into their real ale. My dad was a camera member for kind of right back from almost when it was founded. Um, so um, me and my siblings, we were kind of always taken to the pub and we had, even though we lived kind of in a very rural place, there was lots of kind of half decent pubs about. Um, so as soon as we were, um, well, I was going to say as soon as we were old enough to drink, but as soon as the landlords would let us have a pint, <laughs> we were, we, we, we'd, we'd go down the pub and um, yeah, we'd, we'd, there were certain pubs that would try, have different real ales on and we'd try them um, and just kind of got into beer that way. Um, and then in 2005, um, our local pub um, came on the market and um, uh, my dad kind of wanted to get involved with it and basically ended up buying it. <laughs> um, and he, he'd not had any experience in, in, in pubs before, but he had ideas of um, what to do with it um, and kind of what kind of pub he wanted it to be. Um, so as a family, we kind of worked on it. I ended up running it for a little while, um, kind of 2007 and eight. Um, and at the same time, we were um, building a brewery next door. Uh, we thought a rural pub in the middle of nowhere, there's 300 people, I think, live in, live in village of Edwardston, where the pub is. Um, so a brewery seemed like uh, a perfect thing to to get people to come and come and visit you, be a little bit different to some of the other pubs about. Um, so when we when we first started the brewery next door, it was called um, Mill Green, and we just brewed cask beer, and it was basically just me doing it, and um, I was kind of just teaching myself. I'd done a short course up at Brew Lab in Sunderland, um, but lots of it was just uh, learning from the people that installed the kit and learning from other local brewers. Um, and we we did that for um, about seven years. Um, and it kind of got to a point in 2015 that we'd kind of taken the little cask brewery as far as as we could um and to be honest there are probably people locally that could do it on a bigger scale more consistently um and and at a lower price than we could <laughs> um and over that time we'd uh well i personally had kind of got a taste for sour beers picked up some belgian beers from various festivals and things um and had kind of been playing around using using wild yeast um 
my uh, family always made a bit of cider, kind of always as far as I can remember. So back since 1985. Um, and they just press apples and let the juice spontaneously ferment with the, the yeast that's on the, on the skins of the apples. Um, so when we first started doing this, we used basically some fermenting cider, pitched it into some beer work and experimented to see what happened. Um, and luckily for us, it came out all right. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for a moment there, I thought that the story gonna, that story was going to go down the lines of you, you, you had a brewery and you let loose some wild beasties in it. And that was that you then decided you weren't producing cask beer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just um, so the pub you're referencing, Tom, so that is the pub you're at now, isn't it? That's the Edwardstone White Horse in Suffolk. Yeah. So your parents bought the pub back in sort of the mid 2000s. Yeah. So you've been sort of there ever since in one way or another. Yep. Um, yeah, I've worked there the, the entire, how many years it is now? <laughs> About 15, I would say now, 15, yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah, mo yeah, most of that time, the first couple of years, I wasn't kind of involved kind of full time. I was helping out occasionally. Um, but yeah, from 2007, yeah, so about 15 years. Mm. We still well, actually get people that come in the pub and ask Tom to brew some of his old Milgrain beers. So there's a few people that are like, you need to make Tornado Smith or Massachusetts. <laughs> they just, and I'm, I've, no, I've never got to try them. I met Tom after all of that. So I'd like him to brew them somewhere as well, just so I can try them. But that's my That's my plan for the next year and a half two years is try and get him to do some cast collaborations just to you know mix it up a bit why not yeah, the, the brewery is definitely too full of wild yeast to, yeah we never did that no no way you're going back to brewing cask beer in no. there is there <laughs> no you'll, you'll have to visit someone else probably to do that i would, I would suggest yeah, yeah. yeah. they'd probably yeah. hose you down before you walk in as well <laughs> yeah they'll uh, put you in one of those um hazard suits head yeah. to toe yeah. <laughs> Don't let him touch anything. He's he's definitely covered. So where 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 do you, where, what's your beer journey, Danny? Um, so well, my beer journey I suppose started a little bit later. Uh, when I was a young whippersnapper in Canada, I was a what I would consider classic Canadian teenager. So I was more into like stealing rum and vodka from mom's cabinet, but you know, like, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I, yeah, well, there you go. Um, so I moved over to the UK um, in 2011. Um, it'll be 11 years this year. Um, and all of my friends would tell you that I hate beer and would never drink it, uh, which was true at the time. Um, but I spent about three, four months traveling around Europe, excuse me, as most people do, I suppose, when they move over uh, for the first time um, and kind of just visiting lots of beer festivals and and um, beer halls in Germany. Um, I went to a really cool beer festival in Prague, which actually ended up going to two years in a row. I've been to um, Oktoberfest a couple of times, just kind of started to realize that beer wasn't just uh, Molson Canadian and, you know, things like that. I realized there was a lot more to it, which I found quite interesting. Um, then I moved, moved to the UK officially. So after traveling, I kind of settled in Edinburgh. Um, I ended up being there for about seven years. Um, I worked in a hostel for a little while, um, worked in a nightclub, I worked in a marketing agency, which is kind of my background. 
Um, but then I worked in a pub in Stockbridge um, called the Stockbridge Tap, which if you're ever in Edinburgh, highly recommended. Um, they do a really good mix of cask um, and craft beer. Um, I think it's a little bit more crafty these days compared to when I was there, but it was a really good balance and it allowed me to really learn about cask because it's not really a thing in Canada. I think people kind of randomly try and do it, but it's not the same at all as it is here. Um, and yeah, just learned to got to meet loads of um, brewers and obviously through the trays and, and, you know, dropping off and people used to come and drink in there quite a bit. So I just kind of got to um, immerse myself in the, in the beer industry in Edinburgh. Um, I actually did a kind of, didn't mention this beforehand, I did a six month stint at BrewDog um, before my first visa finished. Um, which did also help introduce me to a lot of really interesting um, American craft beer, which to be fair, when, even though I came from Canada, I didn't know many of the breweries that were kind of in, in America at the time. Um, so it was a really interesting way to kind of, again, further learn more about it wasn't, it's not just macro lager. There's all these other kinds of beers. I really loved when I worked there, for instance, lots of black IPAs, Paula too. Uh, Andy at Elusive, uh, <laughs> love black IPAs, uh, just dark beers in general, I got quite into. Um, and then, yeah, after working at the tap for a few years, um, I got to know a couple guys who were starting a brewery in Edinburgh um, they needed some marketing help. So I decided to start my own business um, and I ended up kind of working with them and a couple other people in, in Edinburgh and just doing kind of marketing sales anything basically around the brewery that I could help out with working in tap room that kind of thing um working at festivals I went and worked at INBC for um New Zealand Beer Collective and Yeasty Boys um I worked with Alchemy who are an Edinburgh brewery at Leeds International Beer Festival so I kind of just got to know lots of people in the industry and decided that it was a place that I felt really comfortable and really enjoyed um and then it was in 2017 that I was working at the um, Edinburgh Craft Beer Festival um, for, I was with Cross Borders by that point, wasn't I? I was, yeah, so Cross Borders was the brewery I ended up working for in Edinburgh. Um, and I was working at the Edinburgh Craft Beer Festival. Tom was in town showcasing his beers at Salt Horse. Um, I came along to his tasting, that's where we met, and then just kind of chatted, got to know each other. Um, Stalked me on Facebook the following week. Good man. <laughs> so invested me. And uh, yeah, we just kind of went from there, just kind of chatted. And then, uh, yeah, kind of started flying back and forth from Edinburgh to Suffolk. And then a year in, I realized that he wasn't going to move his brewery to Scotland. So I had to, to take the jump to move down here. Said up, swore up and down. I wasn't going to work for the business and I was going to do my own thing. And there were lots of breweries in the area that I could work with and it was going to be really good. And then within a month of moving here, the pub person that they'd hired to, to run the pub failed the day that we were supposed to reopen. And I ended up running the pub for four months <laughs> and basically just slowly started taking on different jobs. Um, and now basically I do all of the paperwork. Um so so how, does Ed, how does Edwardstone compare? Am I saying it right, by the way? I'm never sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edwardstone. Um, yeah. How does that compare? I mean, from where you were in Canada to Edinburgh, that part of Suffolk must be quite the little shock to the system when you first land there. Uh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the countryside in Canada, so it's about a 10-minute drive through 
literally nothing to get to the nearest town. I mean, even that town was only 1,500 people, which is about the size of the village that we live in. Like, in, we're in Boxford, which is a little bit oh, okay, like six miles from, from Edwardston. So we don't live right in Edwardston. Um, so I was kind of, I, I mean, I always said I wouldn't live in the countryside again, but here we are. Um, so it's, it's definitely different. But when I first moved down here, I was kind of flying up to Edinburgh, Edinburgh like every three, four months just to visit friends and, and going into London. And we're not terribly far. It's only about an hour and a half into London um, from Sudbury. So it's, it's not difficult. It's kind of easy enough to get around. Obviously, COVID put a little bit of a damper on the traveling. Um, but it's been fine. I mean, we've been we've been lucky. We've got a house with a yard. And so during COVID, you know, we could still get outside. You could still do things. And it's probably a better place to to be to to be, to, to be locked down in than than potentially a big city really um i still try and get up there quite regularly as well so i mean it's yeah well you've definitely got plenty of nice open countryside around the southern yeah. boxford area as well um so that i mean that's really nice i mean that's really i mean that's really interesting so your beer journey was a lot shorter therefore danny and then suddenly you're yeah all into I've covered a lot of ground <laughs> you have covered a lot of ground in a short space of time and it, now it's all sours and tart beers <laughs> and acidic beers that is from your what, what do your your friend your childhood friends in Canada think considering this is the person um, who never used to drink beer well this is it I mean I was I was home in November for my best friend's wedding um like oldest friend known her from babies and that's literally how they introduced me at the wedding as a bridesmaid as the you know, 10 years ago, you'd never see a, a beer in this girl's hand and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, everyone thinks it's a hilarious joke when it's, you know, my job. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a bit different, you know, even my mom, but I mean, my, my parents are even gator. I bring, I used to bring home beers and stuff. And my mom, my mom loves trying them. She loves our beer. Like she loves the sour beers. Every time we release something, she wants us to save it for her. And I can't mail it home. So whenever I go home, I always take a suitcase full so we can have a little beer tasting and she saves all the bottles they're <laughs> on a shelf at home and yeah she yeah I don't know they, they love it I think I've got a few friends in the brewing industry in Winnipeg as well um so I always kind of bring stuff back and share and they send stuff back for us and it's quite cool I don't know it's a it's different but yeah they find it they find it a bit odd but I think everyone always kind of knew I'd be in like the drinks industry in one way or another <laughs> so. Well, speaking of drinks, I'll finish. I'll finish that lager. That's gone. Next, <laughs> uh, Steve hasn't yet, so I'll. Um, yeah, I just I could drink. I could definitely drink pints of that, especially as Steve mm. said during the summer, or yes. one of those nice sort of bright, warmish spring days. And especially if you've done a bit of a walk around the area where you are, that'd be lovely yeah. for quenching the thirst as well. Yeah, the lemon has really started to kind of develop more. Yeah. Like I think the last time I even tried it, like at least in a bottle, I don't think it was even as lemony as it is now. So it's quite nice to know that that's kind of the flavor that's developing as it as it ages longer as well. So by this summer, it'll be even more refreshing. <laughs> yeah, and I notice it says uh, best before twenty twenty six. And Tom, given how you described, um, I won't use Steve's turn of phrase for your brewing style. Um, but and Steve and I've been talking about this quite a lot offline. How do you pitch that best before date? It's very difficult because um, again, it, the, the beer is fairly unpredictable. So um, 
most of these beers, the, the, the beers that we brewed back in 2015 still taste good now. So, um, and some of them are a lot, lot better than they were three or four years ago. So in general, the beers will, will improve, particularly kind of stronger ones. Um, so the best before dates are more, are more a guide than kind of a, a, a definite thing. Um, and in some cases, they, they might be better after that date. Um, but yeah, they're fairly unpredictable things. So um, if, if they're being sold, we've aged them for several months already. So they should be good to go. But they're the kind of beers, if you want to hold on to them, try them before their best before date, try them after. <laughs> I've got a couple of your 750s in my beer cupboard. So before the end of the show, I'm going to check and then I might find out from you when I should be drinking it. Get, find, get, yeah. let, let, let an expert tell me rather than my wild flailing guessing. <laughs> Fumbling around in the dark, mate. Fumbling that's, around in the dark. That's, that's, that's <laughs> so what, what did you think of it, Steve? Uh, yeah, much the same as my, my first thoughts of it. It's, it's, it's really crisp and refreshing. Um, those those lemony notes on the finish uh, really do refresh and in in, in terms of that being a- almost a perfect summer's day beer yeah I can I can very much agree with what you're saying Martin and you could have a nice walk around the Edwardstone area and and, th- and then come back to the pub and in, enjoy one of those and it, it would very much it would very much do the job in terms of quenching the thirst yeah I definitely think it would and speaking of quenching the first, I've already got the next bottle ready. Okay, let's. Uh, while we're getting this into the glass, let's let uh, Tom tell us all about this one then. Okay, so this is uh, Simcoe Sour, which is is we we brew a kind of a, a set of beers that are basically just golden sour bits. So they're with our mixed culture. They go into barrels, mainly barrels that have already been used for. Um, one of our own one of our other beers um and we just they just basically sit along a big wall and we leave them until um until we think they're that they're good they're good to go um we use them for blending and then having fruit put in them and uh um sometime down the line we're going to do just a, a a plain golden sour but we've yet to find the right barrels for that yet. Um, but in this case, we had something that was tasting really great, um, kind of quite dry, quite crisp, um, not not a lot of kind of acetic, that vinegary flavour, um, something that was fairly easy drinking. Um, and I thought it would go with some uh, some hops that I had. They were they were Simcoe hops. But they were a few years old, old, so they'd slightly faded. They'd picked up some kind of other flavours. They were kind of a, maybe a bit more earthy and had got kind of a, a the fruitiness was still there. But there was also some maybe like slight um, kind of dusty tobacco notes to them as well. So they were kind of a an, an interesting thing to use. Um, that I thought would work quite well with these. This was just two particular barrels. So it was two 200 litre barrels, so 400 litre batch. So fairly small. Um, 
And yeah, we just uh, put them in a tank and, and dry hop them for, for a week or two. Um, so yeah, kind of got some hoppy notes to it, dry, a little bit of acidity, but not over the top. Um, and again, probably an easy, a nice summer, easy drinker. Right, well, after that, that very full description, um, cheers, Steve. I'm diving yep. in. Cheers. Dusty and woody on the nose. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd agree. Actually, I've, got, I've, not, I've not got a lot else to add to that. Although I, I was drinking, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be all right here. And I'm just sort of like letting the first few sips go down. And then right at the end, there's just this real sour punch to it that just got me a, a, a little bit at the end. But very well balanced in in terms of its its profile it's not one of those where when you instantly when you take a sip and you instantly get a oh god that's really sour it's 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 actually really nice it's really it's really easy to drink i think it comes out did you uh tom did you say sort of like ash as well in your descriptor because it's definitely it feels like a little bit tobacco yeah, there is possibly a bit of tobacco-iness there. And also there's, it's kind of, there, there's a bit of kind of, I, I pick up a bit of kind of dry kind of minerality, kind of almost like a chalkiness there, which I think is kind of, comes across as that kind of slightly ashy maybe kind of mm. flavour there, just in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's not um, front front and centre at all. I mean, the, the dryness and the fruitiness is what sort of starts to come through after the initial like dusty woody aroma kind kind of uh, hints I was getting, it's still quite a light beer, isn't it? It's about five percent. Martin, I find I find this really fascinating actually because I, I think this this is where our the difference in our experience with sour beers is is, is showing because I, I'm getting none of that. I, I'm I'm just getting kind of tartness on on it, but and and a little bit of dryness on the finish. But some of the things that you were describing there, I'm just I'm picking up none of those flavours in it, and I'm guessing that's just because you've far more experience of, of of drinking this style of beer than I have. Yeah, it's probably part of that. Plus, the sour tartness isn't really hitting me. I can I, I feel it's there, and I know it's working its magic in the background, but it's probably more to the fore for you, Steve. Anyway. And like you say, you got that hit at the back end of it. Whereas for me, it's just providing a bit of a platform for everything else. So yeah, I think it's just that bit, that journey, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I, I would agree with with Martin as well. That's kind of I don't I don't perceive it as that sour tart. I get a little bit more of a funk, I guess, which is kind of that dusty vibe. And then the on the nose, you kind of get the there's kind of a dusty, but there's almost like a kind of peachy grettiness as well which i think comes through a little bit more on the on the end but but put it this way it's not it's not making me wince so you can you can take that as <laughs> as, as, as a win that's a win <laughs> yeah 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 i think it's it's fascinating what you were saying there tom in in terms of the process that you went through when when you, you brew some of your beers that you actually you reuse your own casks for aging and, and and I think that very much ties into the whole ethos behind the, the, the Little Earth brand, doesn't it? Because if, everything you do, you try and source things locally. You, you, you try and be very environmentally aware of what you're doing. And, and I know when I came up to pick the beers up, you, you showed me a, a little bit around the back of the brewery as well, even to the point where you've got your own borehole and you're actually drawing water directly from the ground underneath the brewery. 
So was was that all of that together? Was that important to you when you decided you were going down the route of, of, of switching from brewing cask beer and you were going to start making funky mixed firm stuff and you were going to change to become the Little Earth Project? Was, was all of that in the back of your mind? Um, yeah. So even before we started uh, uh, Little Earth Project, uh, when we were um, Mill Green, the cask beer, we were using some uh, barley that we'd grown ourselves. We grow some barley organically. Um and we grow a few of our own hops as well. We've got, um, in fact, we've got 300 hop plants now. We planted another 100 last year. Um, so even when we were doing the cask stuff, we were we were trying to do some um, kind of sustainability and environmental things. Um, we've got a wood boiler at the at the brewery and a and a borehole, so our water comes straight from under the beer garden. Um, for the beers we brew now, it's it's um, completely untreated. It does go through a through an iron filter because there's quite a lot of iron in the in the water that comes out of the ground. Um, and then we heat it up for the brewing process using a a, a wood boiler. Um, and part of the thinking of going down the route of doing the sour beers and kind of maybe beers that are more connected to the land than than uh, cask beers where you're using lots of uh, American hops um, and the kind of just quick turnover beers where you have to sell a lot of them at fairly fairly low price point um, rather uh, kind of thinking how can we make these beers really special with the things that we've already got so we're making cider there's wild yeast there we've got barrels that uh, have been used for making cider We've got the yeast from the cider. We've got the barley that we're growing ourselves. We've got hops that we're growing ourselves. Um, we've got a kit that's kind of a, that's that by that point was kind of fairly well used and, uh, um, and was probably more suited to making sour beer than it was um, cask beer. Um, and that, that all of that kind of fitted in with the kind of, uh, the, the sustainable aspects as well, kind of using local wood for the wood boiler. Um, and uh, uh, using locally foraged fruits and other ingredients as well. So it all kind of fitted together and came together at the right time, I think. And and how did that translate once once you started brewing the the little earth beers and they started appearing in in, in the pub? that must have been a bit of a shock to the, the local community to have gone from probably fairly traditional cask beers to all of this really wild, funky stuff that is, is all of a sudden now available? Well, we, we kind of... The, what we try and do with the pub is um, is always just offer a great range of beers, so um, for of all different styles. Um, kind of, I think, personally, both of us enjoy a wide varieties of styles of beer and that's kind of what got us into beer in the first place um you know it's kind of almost unlimited the the, the different types of beer out there uh, and particularly now in the uk kind of over the last kind of 10 or 15 years um you can get loads of different styles and they're all made very very well in most cases um so yeah we we kind of introduce things slowly um didn't force anything on anyone and 
Um, we've kind of tweaked what's available at the pub, tried to make it more kind of local and independent breweries. Um, so there's there's always options out there, whether you want a pint of cask bitter, um, a nice kind of session lager or a pale ale or an IPA or a stout or porter. There's something for everyone. Yeah, I think I was quite taken aback when when, when I walked in and saw that you had Jai Paw on and it, it, it took every ounce of will for me just to not order a pint of it because because i was driving and i was like I can't, if, if i start with jaipur i'm never going to stop <laughs> yeah so I, I think kind of um we try and sell some like absolute classics like that alongside um some smaller local breweries beers and uh and uh the the again kind of i think in east anglia the the beer selection available has has really kind of taken off just in the last three or four years with people like uh, uh, Burnt Mill and uh, Ampersand and Duration um, and there's smaller breweries um, that are popping up kind of all the time now. I'm still lost with Steve not drinking a pint of Jai Paul so you'll have to forgive me <laughs> for a moment. You that, that, drive. <laughs> that, that was, I'm sure he, I would have thought he'd just drink it and sleep in the car or the car park or the accommodation you've got out yeah, around the about. couches you could, have, you could have just had a nap on the couch bit, bit too cold for camping uh, at this time of year even, even oh, yeah. i'm not that brave yeah, yeah that's true i mean you are right there is a lot of choice in east anglia now you've got some very good tra- traditional brewers who are still there and like you say you've name checked a couple of brewer- two or three breweries there who've definitely started to make their mark or had already made their mark as well so so it's all about Giving them, giving the uh, the punters the choice, then so they they can choose to dabble in your beers, or they can have some locally sourced good cask beer or keg beer, regardless of that. Yeah, um, and since we reopened in April, our best selling beer um, by quite a way is uh, Crouch Vale Brewers Gold. So um, that's what lots of the locals drink. It's you know, four percent. It's it's a good price, and you can drink pints of it, and it's super tasty. So, and there's that. You know, we don't see anything wrong with that. That's fine. That's you know, that's the kind of place we want it to be. We want it to be. You can come here, whether you're a local or whether you're visiting the area, or whether you're camping on 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 a campsite, and there's something for everyone, basically. Love it. I mean, Brewers Gold is a. I was going to say it's a modern day classic. But I'm not even sure it counts as a modern day classic. It's been around for so long now because um, yeah. I, where I live in South Essex, I'm not far from Crouchvale Brewery and, and their tap room and stuff. So it's, it's a fairly local one to me, but I've always been a big fan of that. And uh, Yakima Gold as well from them. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, that, that, that sounds ideal. But even though I lived in Colchester, it just wasn't the easiest place to get to unless you did a bit of planning, as in i.e. finding someone else to drive. So you can have the aforementioned pint of Jaipur, for example, or quite probably quite an expensive taxi journey there and back as well. Um, how do you feel about it? Are you, are you, are you feel, starting to see it become a bit of a destination for people to go to? Um, yeah, definitely. I think uh, particularly last summer, I think kind of lots of people were kind of introduced to the place because they weren't taking their, their, their kind of foreign holidays and stuff. So 
um, we had lots of people that kind of discovered us for the first time and and then some of those people were coming back as well so um, you know we've kind of got to be a destination pub where we are um, like you say we're, we're not too far from Colchester or Ipswich or Bury St Edmunds but we're still half an hour from all, all of those places so um, you have got to get someone willing to drive half an hour out of their way to, to, to get you there. Um, or book a cottage. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a couple of little uh, holiday chalets, so they're kind of kind of perfect if you wanna if you wanna stay for a few days. Oh uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was. Did you? I don't know. Did you ever use two festivals and have camping? Yeah. yeah, the campsite, the campsite's still there. It's open all year round. So we've actually had a few people staying even over the past week or so. Um, and the cottages are starting to to fill up for the summer, which is, yeah. you know, slowly but surely, not as quickly as maybe we initially thought. But I think a lot of people are starting to reevaluate leaving the country this summer. So yeah, um, makes sense. So is that. it are they self-contained uh, cottages? Yeah. So they they. Um, they're, we kind of call them like the lumberjack chalets. They're uh, little wooden or quite big wooden things, kind of two floors. The the bottom floor is your kitchen, living, bathroom, and then on the second floor, one of them has two bedrooms. With a one has a bunk bed and one has a double bed. And the other cottage has is kind of they both sleep kind of four, five ish. Um, the second one has just kind of a double bed and a single bed and a little kind of roll out futon type thing um single um but then they both have a fold down couch type bed downstairs as well so we kind of we sell them as they they sleep for comfortably really um but yeah they're i think they're quite reasonably priced they're you know there's a kitchen everything you can do your own cooking obviously um the pub we do kind of cheese and charcuterie boards um as our food offering at the minute um so obviously if you want to cook something a bit more elaborate you have the ability to do that um we get food trucks in or we we have that done i think they're taking january off for the most part but we've kind of experimented with that over the summer we had a weggy burger truck that absolutely destroyed it every friday night <laughs> they were in they had the campsite coming to to get loads of burgers and it went over really well and it kind of saved on our side it saved us on staff um and we you know managed to get through everything so far without having to hire a chef which is a really expensive and B apparently really hard to come by these days. So uh, we've kind of managed to kind of tick along um, on a bit of a lower, a lower budget, but still, you know, be able to get in really nice beers. And, you know, we've put on a lot of hours behind the bar as well as um, our managers who we've got in and uh, hopefully this summer it can kind of start picking up and we'll be able to hire more people and kind of move from there. And we've growing it, growing it slowly. Yeah. Um, but managing. I was trying to find a different word than I'm going to use. So it sounds like it's a very organic growth. Sorry, I couldn't find another word. All right. That's <laughs> so, a, but I if you didn't, I probably would have. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds the way you're, talk, you're talking about it and describe it, everything's been fairly incremental. It's been evolutionary rather than revolutionary. Would that be fair? Uh, yeah, we kind of do the whole, you've got to walk before you can run. So, I mean, there's, there's certain things that we've... Um, you know, we closed for a week so we could install new taps. We obviously had plans of investing a lot more into it and it didn't quite go the way we had hoped, but we closed for two weeks in October. We did a bit more. Um, that was right before we reopened inside. So up to that point, we'd only been open 
outside for the summer um, just with COVID restrictions and that kind of thing. And because we have younger managers, we wanted to make sure they were vaccinated and everybody was kind of good before we unleashed the world inside. Um, so it's kind of little baby steps, which potentially we held off longer than a lot of other places, but we had kind of outdoor space. We've, that's one thing we do have. The, the outdoor space at the pub is massive. We've got a huge beer garden. You know, we've got lots of outdoor space right outside the pub. Um, so we were able to kind of hold off a bit on that, but obviously by mid-October, it's getting a bit cold. So we kind of closed for a couple of weeks. Managers had some holidays. Tom and I went in and, you know, painted and put up shelves. It kind of made the place just really generally a lot cozier and a bit more comfortable. Um, got those couches in, that kind of thing. Um, just kind of changed it enough so people kind of would hopefully take note that something had changed. So obviously we'd taken on the pub in, in April um, under Little Earth Project's kind of arm. Um, so enough to, to show that it changed, but not too much to show that we were trying to like change the pub, you know, for the locals and stuff. You know, we didn't want to make it seem like it was some horrible hostile takeover. It was a bit more of, again, like you said, a natural change and a natural evolution, something that, you know, as we go, we want to add more things to the menu as the managers feel comfortable taking that on. Ellie uh, makes her own sourdough for the cheese and charcuterie boards. Um, so now she's looking at doing sourdough um, uh, pizza, pizza doughs to make pizzas and like kind of, again, adding little things that they can incrementally add to their day while also not having, you know, not forcing us to then have to hire a chef or, you know, kitchen porters and all sorts of other things that can kind of be, once they're busy with the pizzas, we can add more people in and we can kind of, again, slowly build it up. So hopefully by the summertime, it'll all be running like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> well, if, if this if this summer's anything like last summer, because I think from my point of view, it felt as though there wasn't a single person on my timeline on Twitter that wasn't visiting the White Horse last summer. Um, yeah. Whether they were going camping or staying in the lodges, it, it seemed as though it was very much a destination for, for people last year. And I think, I think that speaks volumes in terms of how well loved you are in in the beer community in terms of the beers that you do and your your approach to to, to, to brewing I'm, I'm quite interested in, in you said you, you took on the pub in april so that would have been april 2021 that, that you took the pub yeah. on as part of little earth was that as a result of the the previous year and the pandemic and was was that kind of a survival plan for the pub or was it was it again just a natural evolution of where you were going with the, the business that you wanted it it made sense for it all to become the one business under the same umbrella um it i think it was i mean it was partly due to the pandemic but up, up to that point we'd kind of been involved ish so um, part of it comes down to uh, Tom's dad's looking to kind of get out of his he's trying, um, to he's trying to retire, basically, yeah, which he's fighting back against his own will right now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so we're kind of buying out the the brewery because it's all kind of under his company at the minute. So we're kind of slowly taking that over um, the pub. We in the past, it had been leased out um, to different individuals over the years. Um, and after the last landlords or managers had left in October of 2020, we kind of had a few months to really think about what we wanted to do with it and kind of thought, well, if we're taking on this business and we're buying things out and we're kind of taking it all under our wing, it would be nice to kind of have 
um, a bit more control over what happens next door. So a little bit more of a kind of eye on on what beers are on or or how we're presenting ourselves because it does whether we were running it or not, it still looks as though it was an extension of our business because our beers were still on, you know, you still want the people that are behind the bar to be representing you as a company, I guess, regardless of whether or not they're being paid by you or not, they still kind of represent because people look at them and say, well, you're next door to these guys. Therefore, you know, what do you have to say about it? So, you know, we wanted to kind of hire people who had maybe a little bit more um, recent craft beer experience maybe versus maybe traditional landlords that we've had in the past. Um, I think everybody's kind of had their own thing as they've taken the pub on, whereas we kind of had a bit more of a vision, especially with the, with the campsite and the cottages and everything that we could kind of put together to make this destination brewery, taproom, pub. Um, I suppose it is a bit of a control thing, I guess. I don't know, just being able to kind of have a better handle on on the way we can push it and the way we can people perceive it and and how we can take it forward um and it's much easier when it's all under under one roof yeah well yeah, i mean that makes sense to me i know you've used the word control there but you're quite right people are going to want to know a bit more about the beers if they do decide to try them and i've got to assume a natural link anyway if the beers are being yeah. brewed feet away from where they're drinking them they're going to assume there's a connection of some kind and so you do want whoever's serving them to have a little bit about them as well, because they are going to be asked questions or they might want to offer saying, like you say, yes, you, you want a lager. Are you sure you want a pint of this just now? Or do you want to have a taste of that kind of thing? Because they know themselves what it's going to be like. So it yeah. does make, it does make sense to bring, I mean, to bring this all together does from the outside looking in, forgetting about, forget easy to forget about, forgetting about the, the money side of it. But from a, a practical point of view, bringing those all those elements under literally the one Little Earth Project umbrella, I think makes perfect sense. Even if, you, again, you've had to sort of do it slowly, build up to it, as you say, walk before you run. To me, it all seems to work. It's, it, it hangs together as a plan. Yeah. Yeah, lots of it was, um, is, is, like you say, getting the right people behind the bar that can that know what they're talking about and and understand our beer and understand craft beer um and the guys we've got at the moment uh ellie and ben um they're both the uh, um former brew dog general managers um both managing bars in in london so it's a bit of a change of pace but um <laughs> but they've got a good background and you know and they, they, you, they've brought kind of an element of um um professionalism but also an element of kind of passion and knowledge for the products as well. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's still going in the right direction. And sort of um, just quickly sticking with um, what has occurred pretty much over the last two years now. Um, how 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 was your, you know, how did you survive? I mean, what you know, what did you do to help yourself survive? We've spoken to lots of breweries, and they've all. There's been, I don't think there's been a universal approach by anyone, to be honest. Um, it's been more about pivoting to something that works for them. So, you know, what what worked for you? Well, we're, our, our beer is obviously, again, very different to, to most people's, most breweries' beers. So um, kind of the, we didn't have loads of beer in kegs and cask and cans that needed to be sold 
immediately. So we took the opportunity to age stuff a little bit longer, age stuff in bottles a little bit longer. So we had this massive advantage is that we weren't going to throw anything out, but our kind of cash flow was certainly going to take a hit. And in our business, cash flow is already incredibly difficult when you're paying for ingredients uh, sometimes three years before you're selling the beer that that ingredient made. Um, so we kind of just took a little bit of a hit, as big a hit as we could, um, and kind of used it as an opportunity to to make the beer better and to also make the business kind of stronger going forward. We did, though, work with um, quite a lot. Like We don't have our own online shop, so we still kind of tried to reach out and continue to work with as many, you know, bottle shops and people there. I mean, so many businesses pivoted to have an online shop um, and a lot of um, bottle shops did as well. So we were quite happy to continue to work with them. Um, our distributors still, you know, we kind of maybe lost one or two, um, but we still continue to work with certain ones and, you know, we still work with them now. Um, and it kind of, it, it works because they, it, I mean, our, our supply to them didn't really change. We weren't, you know, we don't have a new beer every two weeks. So it was still quite manageable for them to take X amount every say two months or something like that. And uh, that, that relationships, those relationships kind of stayed very much the same. Um, but we did a lot more like invest in, you know, when we were ordering more bottles, when we swapped to three, seven fives, we invested in five pallets worth because it was, you know, we had to order them from France and it was, you know, issues with Brexit and all sorts of other things that we ended up just getting five pallets in, which was a massive investment when you know that some of those bottles are still sitting upstairs because we haven't even released them yet. <laughs> um, so there was kind of a, a bit of a, it was, it was a time of kind of investing and, and packaging and, and preparing and planning, which, is is much is very necessary especially for a brewery which it feels difficult to plan ahead for sometimes because so we don't know when things are necessarily going to be ready we can kind of you know sit at the start of the year and try and map it out but it doesn't you know, always work it doesn't always work but we we were kind of put in a quite a fairly difficult position as well because over the um the winter of 19 20 to 20 um we basically started putting everything into 750 mil bottles and then Three Nobody months later, no one was sharing any <laughs> beer. <laughs> Which is why you'll start to see a lot more 375s coming yeah. out. So you yeah. kind of pivoted to that. Well, speaking of drinking, I think we've got to the one which Steve was trying to keep secret for some bizarre reasons earlier yeah, on. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so while, while Steve and I get this in the glass, perhaps again, I think you've already spoken a little bit about it, but is there anything else you wanted to add about this beer? The stupid, sexy Suffolk blend Four. You've not made that easy to it's say got, after a few beers, have you? Name. So um, this beer is um, it's kind of our take on a, a Flanders Red, which um, it's kind of a beer that a, a beer style that goes back a long way and is kind of the predecessor to the the kind of British Porter. Um, so kind of a barrel aged, reddish brownish coloured beer. Um, that's kind of a got some sweetness to it, got some body to it, um, got some of that character coming from the oak as well, um, but also kind of quite quite sharp, quite acidic, got some kind of a 
um, some dark berry flavors coming through. Um, so yeah, something that I think I think I like this type of beer because it's kind of beer that you can drink kind of throughout the year. It's it's not something that's you know you can cool it down and it's it's a refreshing kind of tart fruity beer in the in the summer, or you can have it maybe slightly warmer sitting in front of the fire. So um, goes great with cheese. Goes great with cheese. <laughs> so it's a good Christmas beer. Everything goes great with cheese. <laughs> anyway, cheers. I'm going to. Why we have in. the boards at the pub because all of our beers go so well with them. Steve, I really like that. Actually, I I like the uh, the combination of flavors that are going on now. I like the, the 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 fact that you've got some more of the darker fruits coming through, and 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 some of those characteristics are playing well with each other. It's obviously picking up some of the oaky notes. There's a little sweet hint of, of of vanilla right in the background there. And and then the finish for me is like um it's like sherbet, it's like crushed up refreshers that have been kind of sprinkled into your mouth, or, or you've put a whole packet of refreshers in your mouth and you're instantly regretting it, sort of thing. It's it's really tart and, and sharp on, on that finish. Mine is really, really cold. Um, but I, I I get the impression that as this slowly comes to room temperature and as it warms a little bit, you'd probably get a whole different host of flavours and characteristics from it. There's more in there that I can't get to at the moment because it's too cold. I mine is a bit more. Sorry, I was just gonna say mine's a bit warmer than Steve because I've because where I'm doing the recording. Um, I was I was going to ask, can you make it sharper and more sour, please? Obviously, Steve has just said <laughs> See, we, this- our past past blends have been. And this one, we really tried to to blend it to make it a bit more of a of a I don't want to say easy drinker, but a bit more rounded, I suppose. Because other ones in the past have been quite sharp, and we've had, I suppose, more mixed feedback on it. Whereas I don't know this one. We've also had this one in bottles a lot longer. It's kind of been it's been out for a few months as well. Plus, we kept it because we kept things in bottles a bit longer. I think it had more time to to round out before yeah. we released it. Just talk us through that blending process. And I know you mentioned it earlier that you said you've got a number of different barrels that, that contribute to this every year. Do you do you literally try some of the beer from every single barrel and, and then essentially just sit there and go, well, I think these will work together? Or do you actually pour some out and then play with different combinations? How how does that process actually work? Yeah, we, we, we do occasionally, Paul beer out from lots of different barrels lots of our our blends are kind of relatively small um it's obviously sour beer it's not the easiest sell so <laughs> having thousands and thousands of bottles of the same beer is is um not always a great idea but so, some of the ones like this particular beer is um we do pull beer off from different barrels so some of the newer batches uh, some of the new newer barrels from that went into this batch were from batches that we, we're also using to age in barrels. So sometimes the beer will taste better when it's young, and then you want to use that for blending maybe with an older beer, and then vice versa. So um, we don't have a massive stock of, of of barrels, so it's not ridiculously complex, but. Um, yeah, there is a little bit of kind of drawing off and, and trying several barrels together. This is what this is what the lambic brewers do, though, isn't it? When they blend their 
their young beers with some of the older ones. This is exactly what they do. This is, and some of them are just blenderies as well, aren't they? Yeah. So some of them don't make their own uh, work. So they're just putting other people's work, which is just kind of sugary liquid into, into barrels, uh, letting it ferment kind of one, two, three years, and then uh, picking out barrels from kind of each one of those vintages, I guess, and, uh, and blending them together. And I think also, doesn't it also go back to the, the historic origins of porter? That's what they used to do with porter, wasn't it? They used to blend old and young porter to get a, a fresh batch. And that, that was almost done behind the bar or, or in the cellar of the pub. It was it was blended by the, the, the publican back then. And I think you said that obviously the, the, the Flanders Red Style has some of its origins in with Porter. And I just I find it fascinating how all of these different traditions all end up kind of almost emanating from similar points in time. Yeah. So this this kind of style of beer was certainly um, kind of aging beer in, in, in large wooden vessels wasn't really done much in this country it's uh, it, and, and as you say there it, lots of it was done by the publicans so they'd have an old barrel that had been sitting in their cellar for a year and they'd blend it from with one 50 50 maybe with one that had just turned up from the, the brewery um uh, they they used to describe it as things like stale beer which doesn't make it taste that nice <laughs> um and again that's that's where mild comes from so mild was just a young beer um so you'd you'd mix kind of a stale beer with a mild beer and end up with something kind of a, a little bit in between that had a bit of sweetness but also had a bit more of that character and had mellowed a little bit. I do I do find that fascinating that when Steve's reminded me that I just can't picture what people's faces would be like if they knew that's what the barman was doing. Just hold on a second. Something we've been leaving for a year. Just gonna <laughs> put some of that in here. And then I'm going to top it up with some of the new stuff, which we're not ready to put on yet. And here you go. <laughs> it just it just sort of blows your mind that that's what we were doing X amount of years ago. And everyone was quite happy. With it. And presumably it must, still must, it must have tasted good because regardless of the time you're doing it, a punter is a punter. And they'll give something back if they don't like it. Well, yeah. what, we, what we quite enjoy is um, when you get people who come in and kind of obviously aren't a massive fan of, of the beer that we're doing. And they kind of say, oh, like, don't you have just like a normal beer or something? And you try and explain to people, well, actually, like, this is this is what beer was before. <laughs> like, you know, historically, this was beer before all your big macros and stuff came along. Like, this is what people were drinking. So, you know, it depends, depends how far back you want to go to to what normal beer. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. Because <laughs> the, the stock ales that I've had in the past have all had that sort of bretty wooden woody tang to it or twang um it definitely wasn't as clean as modern modern beers are um, i mean this um is a i think this is a really good example of a like a flanders red like i said for me i would quite happily have tasted the pre-blend um maybe to get some of the the fresher younger uh aroma and flavors and maybe a bit more of the sharpness that, that would have appealed to me, I have to admit. It, but it is very well-rounded. It's very, very easy to drink, I think. And I, I and yes, um, and and Danny, are you responsible for the for the labelling as well? Because this one says we'll go really well with the cheese and charcuterie. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yes. That's another another 
stringing my bow. Uh, <laughs> always on brand. Always, I'm just gonna be, always <laughs> on brand, yeah. When the recording's finished, you'll find Martin sitting somewhere near the cheese and crackers later. <laughs> Can't imagine why. So obviously we, we, we've spoken about that the, the last couple of years has been a bit of a challenge in, in, in terms of you at both as a brewery and, and for the pub. As things... As we come into 2022 and things are hopefully looking a little bit brighter, where where do you look at taking Little Earth Project in in uh, over the next year, eighteen months or so? What what are your plans for for, for the future? I think that Martin said earlier, it's kind of this organic growth rather than um, kind of going crazy and um, wanting to be a massive brewery or kind of a or going too crazy it's a, it's about just growing slowly and um if the demand's there for us to make a bit more beer then we'll see how we can do that and how we can do it in a way that kind of works for us um and the same with the pub um just um you know our, our beer is very much kind of about of a place um and we kind of want people to enjoy it where it's being made um we send beer all over the country and we export a little bit as well, but kind of ideally we want a lot of it to be sold um, kind of a few yards away from where it's being produced. So I think just trying to integrate the pub and the, and the brewery more is going to be kind of a big thing. Do some open days and um, tastings in the pub um, and uh and, and try and get more people out to visit us. I think that's the thing. On on the flip side, we're also planning on trying to do as many festivals as we can because we cancelled quite a few um, in 2020. There were a couple that kind of still tried to go on and we, we kind of just pulled it because we were trying to focus on getting the pub going again and kind of took a bit of a hit because I kind of feel like maybe we've fallen out of regular viewing maybe not quite in every before of everyone's mind maybe quite as much as potentially we were because I felt like we were on a really good trajectory coming into kind of the start of 2019 we literally did a, a big event in or a tasting event in Sheffield the weekend everything got locked down or right the weekend before so we were out in Sheffield in large groups um, right before you know the country locked down so it kind of felt like we had lots of things planned um we've already basically signed up for four five festivals already this year so maybe working through some of our keg stock <laughs> and uh yeah just kind of getting ourselves out there again because it is literally just the two of us doing all of the bits I think you're selling yourselves a little bit short there in terms of saying that you, you've fallen out of people's minds a little bit because I think there are there are a handful of people in the UK that are doing the styles of beer that you do, the mixed fermentation stuff. And, and I think when those discussions are had, cer certainly when I'm involved in those discussions and when I see them online, you're one of the first handful of breweries that are always mentioned in, in, in those discussions in, in terms of what you do. So I, I think maybe maybe you're not seeing it, but I, I, think, I, I think the beer community is still very much aware that you're there and that you're still producing what are excellent beers. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then potentially it's more um, of us just kind of getting out there and maybe really making more of a, um, maybe capitalising more on where people can find our beer. Because we do tend to get a lot of messages about, oh, where can I find it? And I feel like, you know, 
it's out there and I see it. I mean, I'm reckon Martin, you can probably still find blend three in a shop somewhere. Um, you know, there's still, you know, if, I, I don't know how to say so. Like every, every release we do isn't a complete sell uh, like immediately, that kind of thing. Like, and I'm not saying that we, that, that would probably be the level we'll have to be before we start expanding at a, at a much faster rate. Um, so I suppose maybe it's just because we are kind of a bit more uh, remote and maybe a bit more cut off from, you know, those conversations maybe in a more social way that being at festivals and kind of getting ourselves like I said a bit more out in front of people will just kind of feed back and I mean getting people more people coming out to stay because I mean we kind of really pushed that leading up to lockdown and I think we saw the fruits of that with the amount of people that came out to see us last summer um, so I think we did a big push. We had lots of, you know, we're sending out loads of flyers. We were doing quite a lot of festivals and kind of reminding people that we had all these options. So I think when everything locked down, we were maybe a little bit more in the front of people's minds to come and visit. Mm. Um, so it's kind of just keeping that, I guess, keeping yeah. that up there we, because we aren't releasing a new beer every couple of weeks. It's kind of making sure that we're staying kind of chatty and mm out in the open all the time <laughs> can you um can you name any of the festivals you're planning to be at so that you know our, our listeners can make, perhaps look out for you uh yeah we're really excited we're going to the uh these hills festival uh that beak brewery are putting on down in uh lewis sussex yeah. sussex um in june um i believe we need a bit i haven't heard much information i think it's still kind of in planning stages but there's a festival just in felix Stowe, so for the locals um that hopsters are putting on i think end of march so keep keep an ear out for that um and we're actually potentially it's in the planning stages of putting our own sour festival on at the pub um in july so we're kind of still getting all the details ironed out but um if you like your sour beer martin Oh, that sounds Second good. Second week in July. Might have, to, <laughs> might have to have a look into that. You'll have to, as soon as you know, as soon as you've decided on dates, make sure it gets gets out there. Um, yeah, I'd definitely. Definitely, definitely be interested. Yeah. But no, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with Steve that certainly in the the beer community, beer bubble that I exist in with Steve, you're when we have these kind of conversations about these types of beers, you're up there with the best of them. And Having had these four tonight side by side, and I uh, I say four because I, I opened up with a sour as well when we were chatting offline. I had your black currant and rye sour, um, and I've really I've enjoyed all four of them. And I think they've all actually, for me, have been very well rounded beers. And like I said, I could probably want a few of them to be a bit maybe a bit tart, especially the fruitier ones to maybe be a bit tarter and a bit more cutting and a bit sharper. But I definitely think there's a there's an appeal out there. I think the last beer Steve described as um, crushed refreshers, I would have gone down like the sour <laughs> Haribo roots, but it's a fairly similar analogy, I suppose. So you've mm-hmm. got those fruit flavours, you've got that, the, there's a bit of spikiness to it. Um, I, yeah, I think they're really well, very easy to drink. And I'm, they're all still in a fairly decent range. It just goes to show you don't have to make these kind of beers all the time at a stupid ABV level. Yeah, I think I think there's a skill there about making these beers as flavoursome, as aromatic 
and it's easy to drink, but still keeping the ABV in a decent place as well. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely on the right tracks. I like the three seven five bowls. I like the labelling. I think there's a there's a there's a lot going on right here, um, and hopefully 2022 will be uh, kind. Well, what we'll do is we'll make sure there are links in the show notes to where people can find out about what you're doing, where they can follow you on social, where they can book to stay uh, at the pub and how they can come to see you. I know at the moment you've not got your own online store, but there are plenty of bottle shops and plenty of online suppliers that, that do stock Little Earth uh, beers. You do just have to kind of search them out a little bit and you have to kind of know your your local supplier, so, so to speak. And the sort local of beers. supplier. Yeah. Sounds a bit dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> and if your local supplier doesn't have it, make sure they give us a call. Get, 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 them, get them to get in touch it's it's been an, an absolute pleasure uh drinking these beers with, with you this evening and, and having you on the podcast as well and thank you very much uh, I, I should say you did gift these beers to us and we are very very grateful for that so thank you very much for for giving us the beers to try uh, again i will openly admit i'm not the the, the, the biggest fan of, of of these style of beers but i can appreciate the work that's gone into them and, and what's come out the, the the other end i i really really enjoyed that lager and and i would happily drink drink pints of that uh the simcoe sour was maybe a a bit much for me but the stupid sexy suffolk blend is is right there where i want it to be it's very very tart on the finish and i don't know how much of it i could drink um but i'd like to be able to drink more of it than i probably could if if, if i'm honest because it's really tasty there's there's so much That's a good going start. on That's a really good start. martin what is coming up on the next show well i've looked at the planner and it's blank so i've got no idea what beers we're doing no idea what subject we're discussing so it's going to be a bit of a surprise to both you and i steve let alone the listeners Brilliant. I love it when we're that planned that, that we actually know what we're doing on the next show. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, whatever it is. Danny, Tom, again, thank you for giving up your time to, to be with us this week. Good luck with, with everything that you're doing at both the brewery and the pub and the campsite and the lodges and, and everything. I hope 2022 is a fantastic year for you both. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yes, and uh, come up, come on out and stay sometime. So thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll look forward to sharing more opinions with you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.